Welcome to Short Ends Podcast, where we discuss experimental film, underground movie making, and independent cinema. Hello, and welcome to the Short Ends Podcast. Today, my guest is Joe Boussier. Joe is a poet, a linguist, a musician, and an experimental filmmaker. We have collaborated on many works together, and most recently, Joe has released a new album on Spotify called The Hits 2012-2019 under his record label Walmart. That's Walmart with two L's. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Joe, I want to welcome you to the podcast. Hello. It's good to be here. Uh, how you doing? Uh, well, it was just uh, hailing outside here in Texas. I'm somewhere outside of Dallas, Texas, and this is the first hailstorm I've seen. It, I wish it was still going. Like, five minutes ago, it was there was like a... It sounded like someone was throwing rocks at my window. In Texas, isn't that rare for Texas? No, I well, I don't know. I mean, you well, you could ask some some folks that have lived in Texas. I've heard stories of crazy hill hillstones that are, you know, big as a baseball. But this is the first one I've seen. Wow. This is the first time you've lived in Texas or no? You lived in Texas once before, right? That's right. I lived there once before. The first song of my new album which all your listeners should check out. Plug it in. The, uh, the Hits is the name of the album by Walmart with two L's. W-A-L-L-M-A-R-T. That's right, by Walmart with two L's. Yeah, yeah. And the first two tracks on that album, or no, the, just the first track was made in 2012 in Texas, somewhere in Oak Cliff. Out in da- outside of Dallas. Okay, okay. Before we get into the album, then can we start off with uh, just with you with the, uh, your biography, sort of. Uh, you grew up in in Massachusetts in Norwood. Uh, how did you get from there to Texas? What what was uh, Norwood like for you? Uh, what a beautiful town, Norwood, Massachusetts, a suburb outside of Boston. Uh, I think about how beautiful. Well, I guess I didn't like that town growing up. Thought it, I wanted to get out of it. I didn't. It was a, you know, a suburban lifestyle. And I wanted, and I didn't like. I didn't. Everyone there liked sports, and and you, know, if you went to the grocery store, then people will ask you if the you know what the Red Sox score was, and so I felt alienated by that, I guess. So that's that's what made me when I was 18 then I went to school in New York and I was like trying to get out of Massachusetts. Before, before you get to New York, though, let's keep talking about Massachusetts for a minute because I feel like that's one of the things that between you and I we have a similar connection. I also grew up in a small town in New York in Westchester. Um there was also this kind of feeling of wanting to get out and that people weren't doing anything and all of that. Um, but I think like you even expressed already in kind of talking about it a little sarcastically or something that uh, maybe you, you, uh, have come around to it and uh, kind of, uh, either romanticize it or, or actually like it in, in some way now. Yeah. Yeah. Well now it's funny as I sit here now in, in a kind of relatively similar place, even though it's a different part of the country, um, like, like now I, like I love living in not, uh, like a not in New York City in a way just like that like the the I don't know what it is the the 
the zeitgeist, the feel, the the mood. I don't know. It's it's much nicer. When I was growing up, I was like, oh, this is so phony. This is so, uh, I don't know, you know, like, uh, this is, yeah, just not, you know, I don't know what it was. But then now, and after going through stuff, then you, then you like, you know, I guess things change as you get older, just as you, you have to see things to know. But, you know, and there's that mindset as a kid where you just, think whatever you you know oh this is phony this is lame i want to you know see cooler stuff or you know more things more dangerous things or more real things see the you know but yeah yeah so for you what what was that then going to new york city was that the thing that kind of opened the box yeah i don't know i mean it's such a funny thing i guess that's part of like this like it's a I don't know if it's like an American, I mean, I guess it's not an American thing because it's this, I mean, like if you look at like the story of like the Buddha, he was like a, a, you know, he went and he was going to be a prince and then he like rejected that stuff. But so maybe it's just like a, a thing in life where it's like, if you have, I don't know if like not, I mean, I guess, you know, cause I don't know, it wasn't like, I mean, you know, I guess like sheltered or something. And then, so you want to get out of that. You know, which is like, it's a bourgeois malaise, like, oh, you know, like, the world is suffering, you know, I should go experience that suffering, or something like that, you know? It's a weird thing. Well, it's very true that a lot of times, out of out of suffering grows, you know, uh, artistic uh, ability, or some kind of uh, unique insight, or something like that, right? Well, yeah, and then... Like, but then it goes on its head too, because then it's like, because that's the, then you get like the suffering artist or the, which is, I see as phony also, you know, or this desire to seek out suffering in like, to be, to be, you know, legitimate or to, to seem like you're actually, you know, the real thing. Like, I feel like, like, that's the idea of like the starving artist in New York, which kind of like now I think to me it almost seems a little phony because it's like do you really want to be an artist or do you want to appear to be an artist and you want to oh look at me I'm suffering and I'm poor and I you know I do drugs and I'm I'm you know homeless but it's like at what point are you like uh, posturing to be something as opposed to just doing something as opposed to like making the art you know as opposed to because that you know and that's the whole thing especially New York you know it's this whole everyone it's so basic in a way it's so childish like this idea of being cool or being seen as an artist versus doing something being in a scene and being seen you know and all these things that are attached to that and then it it totally gets lost in it you know then you're not even making anything you're just even you know look at the some of the people who are big and successful or at least relatively even experimental ones a lot of times they'll you know they're propped up by clout and they're propped up by being in the right place with the right people, but it's it has no substance and it doesn't last. You know that stuff never lasts. Let me interrupt you here for a second. Let's go back again to Massachusetts and everything, um, because I feel a connection in this way that you grew up in a place that you weren't necessarily you know suffering and the, the practicals and everything. Maybe the context was um, you know not so stimulating or something like that. However, did you find that? it was then necessary to rebel against having the means so to speak was that the thing that you had to to go against 
Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's funny, too. I mean, I guess also I'm just like a depressed person in a way, which, uh, you know, I have I don't know. Well, you know, I think we live in this realm, too, where it's like if you have negative feelings or something, then it's supposed to be seen as a problem as opposed to something that is, you know, I don't know, that you can use or to your advantage or something like seeing that, you know, that like it's, it's such a back and forth thing like, oh, this say, I don't know, whatever this this life, the things that people are into are not. uh you know, they're not like, ref- they're not reflective of how I feel or, you know, it's, it's, there's so many things, I guess, that, that can go into it. But yeah. Wait, what, what were you saying now? I just zoned out. I just took a hit of the weed, the weed vape. I'm going to put it down because it's going to make me lose uh, focus. So like, you know, you hear the story of like, uh, the, you know, Jay-Z or somebody growing up in uh, the projects and making it to fame or something. But th- did you feel a, a sort of a similar struggle in the opposite way, maybe, against having, uh, you know, provisions and all of this and trying to prove yourself as an artist despite this story of, like, you need a hard-knock life in order to be a true artist? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, because at the same time, I feel like I... Well, not that I lived a hard-knock life, but I've always... I don't know. I've always been kind of like a depressed person or at least not even depressed because I feel like we live in this realm now where everyone has this this like, oh, I'm depressed or I have anxiety as as if it's like a either both a problem to be solved or like a badge that they have it. But it's but, you know, but I feel like I've always kind of had this weird. But, you know, to in a good way, in a way that I feel like I do, see, you know, like I you know kind of just that i'd see things from maybe like a messed up point of view sometimes that from from like a normal person whatever that means you know so it's like just because you know oh, you know like oh my parents like i didn't grow up in the ghetto does that make me any less able to like understand suffering i mean maybe it does but at the same time you know you can never know so i think it's never true both ways it's like a nature is nurture question almost like it's like would would you take someone and put them in a different situation and would they be different well yes and no probably right you know but at the same time it's it's such a it's it's bullshit but also true i guess you know like when people wear their experiences on their sleeve like it's like these this made me who i was you know like the jay-z like jay-z is a perfect example because what does he do with that story it's a marketing tool it's a it's a way to make him seem legit again it all it goes back to this like being seen as uh um, what's the word not not legitimate but uh uh, genuine like i guess you know like he's he, as if as a, and that's the the whole problem i guess with almost any art is like can you get the viewer or the experiencer of the art to not to to realize it's genuine you know or something like that to not to you know to it's it's hard to say but you know what i mean like to to uh, like i guess i always like to think of to have the viewer or the experiencer feel like they're in good hands like even if something's too crazy and it's you know whatever it is like an experimental noise song if it's really noisy but then they're realizing that it's purposeful noise as opposed to just you know the sound of a machine broken or something you know just any sound in nature or whatever you know like and what is that difference between pure and pure um, abstraction and then 
you know, purposeful abstraction. And that's the person has to feel like they're in good hands in a way. Or, or if, unless the artist wants them to feel like they're not in good hands, but then still have that be done in a way that that is what it is, you know? But, so that's like a double-edged sword, I guess. If it, cause, but that's the bullshit of, you know, New York and, uh, well, for any, any artist anywhere, where it's like, oh, how, you know, is it a genuine thing or is it a marketing ploy, <laughs> you know? When you were in Norwood... Were you having these types of thoughts? Like, were you creating experimental poetry and music at that point? Or was it really after you went to New York? No, I mean, yeah, yeah. I was always making stuff. Like, in high school, we had this band. That was the best. We would have shows in my parents' basement. And like, one of the bands, the Harry and the Potters, they played there. They were lived nearby, the George brothers. They're still around. That's funny, the Harry and the Potters. That's quite an interesting... Uh, that's an example of kind of outsider experimental art where it's, you know, even real artists or whatever you want to call it, say, would laugh at that and say, Harry and the Potters, that's not legitimate art. That's not legitimate, you know, whatever. That's that's like some weird kids thing. But it's but they're awesome. They were the best band and they played for a packed basement. I don't know how my parents let it happen, but there'd be, you know, like 50 kids jumping up and down. And they would have their... PA system and speakers and you know just playing extremely loud because they would play at like the Middle East in Boston we played oh my band didn't play at the Middle East we almost did once so I don't know what happened but my band the Futs we uh we had a good run what kind of music was that oh just uh you know like punk kind of standard garage rock in a way we were kind of ripping off the sound of the Pixies a lot that that was you know, the Pixies were a big band that inspired me, and I guess they still do. Just to, that because they, they had a great way of incorporating weird song topics, weird lyrics that you know they never sang about normal stuff. They didn't sing like love songs or stuff. It's like weird songs with biblical imagery or scary stuff that you, or abstract po words. You don't know what he's really saying or. And then the guitar playing, Joey Santiago, he was the, he's always been the most inspiring guitarist for me, or one of them, just because he would play so harshly and kind of not melodically, but also melodically, while not really using notes sometimes. It'd just be... And that always stuck with me. So the Pixies were a big band, the high school band. We were like kind of ripping them off pretty bad in a few songs. <laughs> they were like practically covers but with some words changed and some stuff, but, you know, which is a good thing to do. I think, you know, especially that kind of cover to cover something where you change it to the point where it's not the original song, but it still kind of is. That's a good creative act. That's more creative than, you know, just covering a song. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Did did your parents influence any of this? Like your mom or dad, did they have any, uh, you know, favorite bands or anything that influenced your uh, artistic musical tastes? No, yeah, yeah. My, my, it's funny. My dad, he's a weird guy because he's not, or he, you wouldn't, he would never admit. Or I, I, you know, like, you don't, you don't see him. He's a normal kind of Boston guy. Like he just watches sports on the weekends. He's a like a financial records manager. So he's always just a kind of a job where he doesn't even can't really explain what it is, but it's just something with financial numbers and 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 see, it's a and. But nonetheless, he would have this record collection that was amazing. He had Thelonious Monk records and just a vast kind of 
spans of types of music that a dad wouldn't listen to. Like he was always getting kind of the new music of the time. Like I remember he got the new Moby album, like when I was a teenager, like, and that was like, you know, I was like, whoa, this is, you can make songs where you're just kind of looping sounds from other recordings. That's crazy. That's awesome. Whoa. And then like, I remember like early memories of like listening to Nirvana, like he would just blast Nirvana. Like, er, you know, I remember like, yeah, like when the uh, acoustic Nirvana show came out, it's like an early memory of mine, kind of. Not when it came out per se, but it must have just come out because I don't know, he was riding around listening to that. The MTV one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so and it's like, and then, and I felt that was cool at the time too, or, or a couple of years later, like when I was like, you know, I don't know, it was like my dad listened to Nirvana, you know, it was like, like cool, you know, but, and so then, it, you know, that, yeah, so, that, and that's always been interesting, I guess, and my dad really opened up a world without him kind of realizing, I think he would just buy whatever he, I mean, I don't know, he, and also his whole, <laughs> he's, he's like, has a friend who has the largest collection of like, bootleg recordings of Sly and Robbie, the bassist and drummer from the Black Uhuru, a classic reggae band. So I think they would always, I think that's where they, that's his weed smoking friend, I believe. <laughs> which, is a, which is something that me, me and my father never uh, kind of talked about. I think we both smoke weed, but we wouldn't, he would never, I don't know, it was always a point of contention. Yeah, well, he's still your father, you know. He doesn't. He doesn't want his son doing drugs, you know. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Now it's now it's legal in Massachusetts, actually. Now though, so I can talk about it to him now. Actually, last time I was home, I went to the the, the weed store, and that was funny. What about your mom? Did, did she have any influence in in that that uh, your trajectory artistically or anything? No, no. I, my, my mom's funny because I always wondered if she likes music. Like, but I mean, I guess she obviously does. I, that's mean to wonder about. Now, now that I'm older, I realize it's like not just just because she liked to listen to the top forty radio. Like, doesn't mean she doesn't like music. Like, I remember one time she told me she got like tingles on her spine from listening to a song by like Kelly Clarkson or something. And I was like, at the time, I think I rolled my eyes, but it's like. I think back to that as like, oh, that's like my mom was telling me about a genuine experience with a song and liked it. Like, that's cool, you know, but it's to a point also in my life. Like, I always felt like my parents, they always seemed like it creative stuff and art like was never like, I don't know, not really even a thing in their worldview, like in in you know, like it didn't seem to exist, let alone to be, uh, encouraged or dissuaded, you know, like it wasn't really like to, and still isn't in a way, <laughs> like, I feel like, uh, I don't know, but I, at the same time, that's almost ideal in a way. It's like, like to have parents that are just like, whatever, cool, I guess. <laughs> like, uh, you know, your dad was into this stuff, your mom was into this stuff, and it filtered into you in a way that even, you know, you're saying about your mom top 40 and everything, but I know you you love pop music. Well, yeah, and that's an example of, of, of a kind of a experience I've had in my life with a lot of things where, like, I look back at disliking things and was like, why would I, why did I dislike something as opposed to finding the good of it? Like, listening to pop music is a perfect example because there was, like, a period of time, like, when I was younger, like, you know, 
teenager into like 20s or early 20s maybe where I was like I wouldn't admit that I liked a song I wouldn't want to put on whatever band I don't know or whatever was a maybe something that it wasn't oh it wasn't cool enough it wasn't uh you know whatever it wasn't experimental enough it's like no you can from you can learn from everything and you can appreciate everything it is you know nobody cares it's like you know you don't have to get mad at a you know an ice cream cone yeah but even that like uh, what you just said you know you're worried about uh, somebody judging you <clears throat> about you know somebody's perception of of you or something versus you know you listening to something and saying this is great music this is a you know a great song this is artistic uh, experimental whatever you want to call it in its own way yeah and like especially i don't know there's so much you could say about like top 40 stuff like when i found out like that Max Martin had made he was like this Swedish guy that was the producer and writer for a lot of these songs that I took to be kind of trash like Backstreet Boys and Britney Spears but it was made by this guy and he's kind of a pop song genius and he's it's not it's actually the opposite of you know just throw this stuff away it's like you can learn a lot from this song and he's a master to be respected as opposed to be ridiculed and it's like and there's a reason these songs are popular. It's not. I mean, there's in part it's obviously because, especially stuff like Britney Spears and Backstreet Boys, there's a corporate machine behind them. But nonetheless, there's there's something there, you know. Like I'm sure I don't know. Like that's and that's a controversial point, especially you know, like to you, like think of I don't know if you've ever had that with like directors. Like, did did you ever dislike like Spielberg and then go back and like him, or have you always liked that? I don't know. You know, but like I feel like that's an example of like. You know, you could be like, fuck that movie. It's a corporate, stupid pop movie. But then it's like, well, I think that maybe there's more than there's a reason why it's big. And there's a lot you could learn from it. You know, even if you don't like the finished product, there's a lot you could learn. Somebody like Spielberg or Lucas or something, I say, oh, it's, you know, corporate machine, this and that. And then, you know, I have a second thought. I say, could I make that movie? Could I in, could I uh, translate those emotions to the audience where during E.T. they're all crying? And, you know, I mean, E.T. is a very, uh, quote, quote, corporate film. However, half the audience is crying. And to me, that's a successful movie. And, you know, regardless of... Uh, of however you label it that that is art you know yeah yeah and then and that's a cool way of thinking too like could i do that on a kind of different level like that like even back to the idea of like a cover song like like trying to kind of do what someone did but in a different way it you can end up kind of making something new like and especially with songs like songs are so similar like different i, I keep noticing lately as i because I always am listening to like different genres and stuff, and I really think like songs and genres are so similar to each other. Like there's there's not there like there's no I feel like there's just one song, you know, and people are just making different variations of this one infinite song or not infinite song, but you know maybe it's infinite. Who knows, you know? But like or maybe it has an end at some point. But but who cares? I mean, but the, you know, like there's this like go for compare any genre like i hate when or not hate but because it, it's always interesting but when people say like oh this i don't know like the, this group of people created this style of music and it's so not true because any type of music you can find how it's similar to another piece of music even if there is no actual related you know strand like 
but they're still going to end up being doing similar things like using tones similarly like i think all cultures have like i don't know now i can't remember some of the some of the interesting facts but like they all use i think like fifths is like a universe there's a few musical universals that arise from different cultures and it's like maybe they're tapping into something that's beyond culture and it's like maybe music exists outside of humans and we're just kind of making it in this bigger connected thing that we're a part of but and then and but how think of the simple thing as the beat that's another thing that i think is universal i think i saw this on like a youtube video or something but i looked it up i think it's like a, like just the uh a downbeat and an upbeat a boom bop boom bop because the brain i think our human brain we we i forget what the there's some interesting theories about why we do it but we group we always will group like a sound and another sound into a thing. So like rhythm is maybe inherent in something deeper in people. And in all music, like rhythm is almost simpler than music. It's almost, or it's like a different, you know, like there's different pieces of music, but the rhythm itself, you know, just a rhythm is so, I don't know, you know, like just universal and, and deep. <laughs> You know, you go back to the real essential, like your heartbeat, you know, it's in rhythm, yeah, yeah. it's in time, and things grow out and of walking that from and... before you're even born, when you're a fetus or anything, you have this rhythm that's innate to you, and out of that comes then complications and this and that, and you add, you know, beats here and there, but there's something that really uh, comes goes back to the origin. Yeah, 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 that's the thing, exactly, and that's why it's, 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 or, and, and the same thing, I guess maybe with like any art, it's like you're just tapping into different things and eliciting these these things that already exist and are, you know, deep in us. Like, yeah, so much stuff, you know, like in, in each little piece of anything. Ah, yeah. All right, here, I want to go back to just talking to you about your kind of timeline and everything. So after Massachusetts, uh, you moved to New York, right? You moved, Did you move to New York... Because you were going to NYU? Yeah, yeah. Why did you apply to NYU in the first place? Um, and then tell me about how it was moving to New York. That that, that whole, t you know, opening experience of, of Manhattan and the city. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just went, I mean, I applied. And, I, and that was like a thing at the school. It was just like... Yeah, because I didn't, you know, all the, all these... Did you apply for any any major in particular? I don't think so, no. I think I had just applied as undecided, and that was because, yeah, I remember I graduated high school, and then all of a sudden people were like, you know, you have to decide what you want to do in life. And I was like, oh, God, well, what do I want to do? Uh, and then I was like, well, I want to play music, but I don't want to go to music school. That seems phony. I just thought that was so phony, and I still do in a way just because it's like, I don't know, but the 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 thing I didn't realize. I mean, I think people go to music school. The real thing there is that you make like connections, and and it's almost seems like it's practice to be a gigging musician, which is a thing I didn't want to do anyways. Also, you know, like be I don't know what you know, like a like a wedding band. Although that seems kind of cool, but <laughs> but like you know, like like so so I you know, but I was like, well, I have to go to college, I guess, and which is such a fucked up thing that they do to kids i feel like like and th this is the whole thing like you know bernie sanders is saying free college but it's like well why not just no college <laughs> well i mean maybe not cancel college but it's but make it cheaper because it's not worth 
what it's what it's worth. Make it so it's like it can't be more expensive than like hundred bucks a class or something. It should be cheap. Or they say that there are now alternatives out there through the internet, through all these other new technologies, where you exactly. don't you don't have to go to college and you can be successful and do what you love. Or if you love academia and want to, uh, you know, study and research and all that kind of stuff, then go to college. But offer that option very uh, visibly. Yeah, but it's messed up. And again, it's it's kind of this bourgeois malaise, kind of like, oh, poor me, I have to go to college. <laughs> like, because like, cause I have that option, you know, I guess, you know, it's like, but but it was, you know, this thing where I was, I felt this existential dread of like, oh, I, I guess I have to go do this. But then the, I was like, oh, wait, I can go to New York and get the hell out of Massachusetts. This seems like a good deal, you know, like, and it wasn't, I mean, I don't, yeah, yeah, it was, and I'd, like, been to New York once when I was, like, in, like, like, I don't know, junior high, and, like, for, like, and then, and I thought it was cool, crazy place, and I had to, I don't know, be, and it seemed, again, back to that kind of, I don't know what the word is, like, I don't, I don't like, being closer to r- real, I don't know what it, what the word is, it's some, like, legitimate not suffering, but, you know, being, you know, I felt like there was this, it was a fake world living in like a suburban kind of place where people seem to be just interested in sports as opposed to, I don't know what, you know, like, like I'm like, and being like Christian and stuff. I don't know. They're like all those like things, which now I kind of like look back and I'm like, oh, well, there's actually, I shouldn't reject all these things that maybe I wanted to reject, you know, when I was 18. Like, yeah, yeah. And I remember like my parents dropped me off in, in New York and then they drove away and then I lit a cigarette and sat at Washington Square Park and I was like, all right. And so that was cool. So I think it was just. You know, that was, yeah, yeah. How, what, what was your first impression when you came to New York? You know, forget the uh, the childhood one or whatever. The first time you came to New York and you knew you were going to be living there and everything, what, what was the first impression like? Uh, I think it was good. I was just like, like, finally, I don't have to... <laughs> like, the cigarette was important, too, because it was like, my parents would... I remember I started smoking, like, a lot, like, senior year, senior year of high school. I thought I was, like, a such a badass. Like, I would smoke on the way to school, and then after school, I would smoke, like, with the goth kids, and I'd be there with them, and I felt so badass. Like, but... And so that was great, being able to walk around and just chain smoke, and then be able to go back to the dorm and have no one say, you smell like smoke. Ah, oh, what a blessing. <laughs> During NYU, how was your college experience? So, you know, how did, did you uh, find it rewarding? Yeah, I mean, like you said, bef- like about how nowadays people could just not go to college, like because it's so funny. Like, I don't know, if it, it's it was such a waste of money. <laughs> like in a way, like I, I could have just almost have just gone and lived in New York and not gone to school, <laughs> and then could have had could have probably. I don't know, but you know, I I, I liked it because f- I liked learning. I I chose to study something that was just kind of interesting to me, without any goal of what it would help me in the future or in you know anything. Like I was like, I'm gonna study linguistics because like I had discovered Nietzsche and he had studied philo- philology in 
the 1800s and when he went to school philology was the study of words and i was like well that's like the modern day equivalent of uh, linguistics is the modern day one of that and then i got into noam chomsky and and he and that and i got into him because of like political stuff like i remember someone had a political book by him and i was like oh cool and then i was like oh he's a linguist it was like okay so you can like be really smart and just write books about like what you think about the world and in philosophy but if you know language that like that's a lot cooler than having studied philosophy or having studied uh politics or having studied you know something else or having studied music and knowing how to play classical songs yeah or literature where you study old books that you know don't really have that much I don't know, bearing on anything. Like I was like, study the words. That seems that seems deep, and and I don't regret that. So actually, I mean, I guess it was. It, it, I my college experience almost was like an ideal world, what it should be if you could just like choose to go kind of study interesting things without any uh, like goal of it helping you in life or or in a, in a specific way that is, you know, because I feel like it helped me more in life in a in a you know, sort of more full, you know, I don't know, a, a, a way of seeing the world, but that doesn't help with the money. But then, you know, fuck that, you know? Because again, that's like, why would, if you're going to go study music, but you, then you're turning it into this study of a, like, specific way of music as opposed to just doing it and then, you know, having your way there. I know you're, you know, a poet and you are inspired by poets, experimental poets, experimental work in general and everything. Did your study of linguistics uh, influence that? Poetry is such a, like, a loaded word in a way, or it's, it's so, like, hard to define in a way, like, like, the, the, what I like as poetry, like, a, a lot of people wouldn't even say that's poetry, like, I like the, there's, uh, history of avant-garde poetry going back you know i mean i guess you know way back like just to stuff like uh catullus the roman poet and you know who wrote just you know, totally kind of crazy stuff and like <laughs> and it i don't know if you if you know what i mean and then up to William Blake, who wrote these crazy books with drawings, and and then to Walt Whitman, who wrote this, who self-published this book of non-rhyming long lines that were just crazy descriptions of, you know, stuff. And then to, I don't know, Ezra Pound and the, all these, like, and, but a lot of this, that stuff, it's like, it's poetry. It's definitely poetry because it's nothing else. It has to be poetry, but it's also always outside of this like beautiful flower and rhyming couplets that are you know just really nice you know in it, it, which is it's it's funny like i this before the instagram age nowadays i don't you know like if you look at what poetry popular poetry is on instagram it's the cringiest stuff it's it's either like flowers are beautiful and kind of girly stuff or it's like the Bukowski wannabe guys where they just are like I lit a cigarette and I'm a cowboy and it's and it's all this it's so phony it's so uh you know like yeah. 
And, and so that's the thing, studying linguistics, it's like, it's much better to, you know, Ezra Pound, that's why I brought up his name, he has this quote, poetry, ah, now I can't remember it, something like, poetry is language uh, electrified, something like that, but it's, uh, and, and that's what it should be, you know, poetry should be language electrified instead of this set structure with set rules and set things, and you can only write poems about these things in, in this kind of way. And so, you know, I did, I minored in poetry at NYU, but I had one teacher, Robert Fitterman, who was, he was awesome. And he kind of, and he's, he's a crazy experimental writer. And he, uh, he worked a lot with uh, Kenneth Goldsmith, who's another kind of crazy writer out there. Did you see uh, the news recently with Kenneth Goldsmith? Do you know anything about him? He wrote, um, he, 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 all his books are like uh, just, yeah, reproductions of text like he made a book day and it, it's just a full copy of the new york times of a single day and he typed it all out and and that's it yeah he did a sequel to that and it was september 11 2001 that day's newspaper so it was like the day that didn't happen and he did a book recently of uh all of uh hillary or as an art installation all of hillary clinton's emails and uh <laughs> the ones i don't know and the ones that were uh, released on wikileaks and then she went there. This was like a couple of weeks ago. She went and read from her emails at the art installation, which is really surreal and really weird uh, for multiple levels. <laughs> but but uh, I mean, that's the uh, I, I love it, though. And I love that that weirdness uh, that I don't know. Stu- and that, like that. And that, uh, I don't know. You know, that's kind of real poetry. Ugh. And I think like Donald Trump's Twitter is poetry in a way too. It's funny. I have, I make the joke that we had the he's the first weird Twitter president. Like he, you know, you can't deny it. Although people on weird Twitter, which was sort of a fake, I think, uh, art movement in a way of just people on Twitter writing weird stuff. Uh, and it's kind of you know, I guess I guess you could call it an internet art movement. I don't know if you know about weird Twitter. But because I don't know how much of it, it was a weird thing as versus, uh, you know, kind of commodified, like they they tried to call themselves an art movement, you know, as opposed to actually being one. But maybe that's how a lot of art movements are. You know, they get coined as almost they're a brand. It's a commodity, you know, it's commodified. Like what is Dadaism and surrealism? You know, that those were commodified isms you know that they kind of created on purpose you know but i'm rambling but but yeah <laughs> so you're you're at nyu you're doing you know uh, linguistics and everything um where does music fit into that i mean you know they're just separate things i guess yeah like i was just making music at the same time having to do like you know homework and stuff. Yeah, but they seem so connected to me. Like you're studying linguistics and poetry and everything. Um, you know, I think that uh, feeds right into the experimental music. Well, thing. yeah, definitely. Especially like uh, studying like phonology and, and the way uh, language. You know, studying the sound of language as a material and being able to look at it like like that was you know like one class we were kind of analyzing sound waves and looking at and you can see all the things like you can see different letters and different you know analyze that was easy for me look or it was just a 
different perspective of kind of the same thing, I guess, you know, because it's interesting, like, language is, and poetry and music, they're all kind of coming from the same source, in a way, and they all kind of overlap, you know, like, you know, I mean, so yeah, they all feed each other, and that, and that's like the thing, I guess I mean, like, whereas linguist, linguistics, you know, in studying different parts of language and different ways of looking at it both from the sound or from the different from the meaning or from the syntax that you just learn or you see ways of thinking about things that are so different and so and so it definitely feeds into everything like it's it's funny i think it's it's weird that linguistics is such a almost little like people don't even know what it is, you know, and uh, lingu linguists don't even know what it is really because it's so diverse. Like there's so much uh, like a, f a phonologist who studies sound like whatever, I don't know, like they, whatever they're looking at from someone who's like studying the syntax of Chinese pronouns, whatever, you know, there's like it's there's a huge difference of like what they're looking at and what they're thinking about and the t and those things no person who isn't in that realm would ever think about really but they should maybe because there's a lot to you know like you never know how th how what you learn will affect other things and that's one of my favorite things in general you know like just the unexpected serendipity of finding you know something and then that kind of teaches you something about something else like you, the way the patterns of a language can teach you about how i don't know you know like it, it'll it'll make you think about rhythm differently or something or you know all these different things and that's like a, a, a place for any i mean that's like a experimental art like that's the best place to be you know kind of just can can this idea live with this idea and can i make something work with them and i synthesize this like that's that's the that's the place of creativity and language itself is creativity always you know what what were you working on during this time did were you working on any i mean i know uh <clears throat> you and i i guess were were working on some projects during nyu um uh, i guess this is the the also when i first met you um, one of the funny things is when I, the first time I met you, you were in my, my roommate's room and you were lying on somebody's bed with your legs up on the wall. And, uh, I walked in and I said, Oh, hi, I'm Granel. And then you threw up on yourself. <laughs> oh my God. That's the thing too. I, I think back at NYU and I'm like, I didn't go to like much parties like NYU, did, you know, NYU didn't have like the standard college stuff that you hear about with like i don't know frat like you know houses or i don't know you know like the like the the kind of you know parties that you see in movies about college parties you know but but <laughs> and i guess i still definitely got drunk and like like the first week i had the song buzzin by Swayze. uh that was my like the song that my friend and we would sing like jokingly but like i after that first week i would meet people like in the elevator and they'd be like oh schwazy and i'd be like what uh, i don't remember you and god now i'm like the schwazy guy uh, which you should look up that song though if you don't know buzzin by schwazy that's a classic <laughs> but in my struggles with drinking began with again in college perhaps <laughs> 
I was going to ask you about about our work together because we started working in college and everything. But you want to talk about drinking for a little bit? Yeah, remember how we would get the cores? That was great, but also also bad. <laughs> like those those the, several nights where we had like, you know, several cores, the twenty four ounce cans each, and then it would be like three a.m. It's like, well, let's go for one more, and getting two more. Uh, but yeah, but. Again, I think, uh, and that's the problem with the college kind of experience, like to talk down about it. Like, I feel like it's, it's almost, it's such like a blessing and a, and a good thing to be able to kind of, I don't know, to see, to experience the world and kind of in, in bad ways, in a way to push yourself in, in, in ways that you wouldn't, that no one would want you to, that you're, you know, you, that you wouldn't recommend, you know, that, that are, you know, because it's good. I don't know. Like, I always like the quote you said, uh, like that you like, uh, that the, I don't know, the, the, like the detox is important or something like that. Like, I don't know what you said, but just like, you learn a lot from a good hangover. I tell you <laughs> a religious but, hangover, of course. And that's the thing. It, it all overlaps too. Like, I feel like with drinking, it's like, I discovered Bukowski probably in like late high school or something. And, and Bukowski has always been like, like now I can't remember the last time I read a Bukowski poem. So I don't know if it still truly stands up, but I would, you know, I, like, I feel like Bukowski is one of those guys that it's easy to like as like a rebellious teen, but then you can still appreciate him as you get older. Cause he's not like the Marlboro guy, uh, Instagram phony poet who's, writing this poem it's like i said no to, I, I said no to her and i drank more whiskey like he does do that but it's he always he's a great poet and he's really he, like every bukowski poem will end with like the last two lines will get you and then you're like ah you know but 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 bukowski is also a very bad idol probably and i think part of me like like through a lot of my 20s i feel like i almost was living kind of like I as a you know wannabe Bukowski in a way without being you know a great writer but there's something to be said for knowing that realm I don't know it's like you gotta go into the dark depths and uh, I don't know like and but be able to come back out of it too Baudelaire is a funny guy that's he's I wrote a paper on him for an experimental poetry class once too like he's an example too of like that kind of bourgeois malaise where he's like, oh, I'm so dark and stuff. But it's like he lived with his mom and all he really did was do drugs, you know. But nonetheless, it's like he explored that deep psyche and he expressed it. Like hell yeah, you know. But but and so that's the that's the thing. It's like and that's why it's almost phony or I don't know. I, I hesitate to even use like those words. Like uh, I don't know. It's like the the. I guess that's the thing. It's like if, if you if the if the drug takes you down, then you you got screwed. But if you're able to ride it out, then then I don't know, and do something with it, you know, create something. It's like the the, the quote that that stupid quote about acid. It's like I don't care about what you did on the acid. What you do the next day is what matters, you know. And that's that's the thing. Yeah, and and this and acid actually—that's a key thing of going to college. I, I I dropped acid, and that definitely like I was thinking about doing acid today when I was like driving down the highway. And I was just thinking about stuff and like think like just like having like psychedelic experiences, whatever you want to call it, like really like changed or opened up, gave me a perspective that 
Uh, today I was thinking, it's like funny, did it? It's almost like, do you wish you could go back before having that perspective? But it's like, no, I don't, because then my life wouldn't be as enriched. Like, I wouldn't be able to know that, I don't know, that my own perspective is not the only perspective. Like, and you really, if you take a heavy dose of LSD and you could really see, you know, that your ego is this thing. But then again, it's, you, you can't go into that too deep and then get lost in the psychedelia and you know and oh my ego is a false thing and i don't have an ego and i'm one with the world you can get too deep into that and then it's that's just as phony as being the pure ego centric kind of being that hasn't had that experience you know what i mean like you like that's like lately i, I think everything is like i mean i guess it's like a lame like greek idea of like stoic moderation or something, but there's something to be said for like that being able to have that balance, being able to go to the crazy depths and being able to be far away from those depths and be in a solid place, but being able to navigate back and forth, you know? Like, you know, Siddhartha or something, you go to the complete end of uh, hedonism and, you know, experience the pleasure palace and all this, and then go to the other side of total, you know, uh, you know, asceticism asceticism and, you know, fast and everything. And then uh, between those two, you find the middle ground. And I don't think it's necessarily living your life in the middle in, in the suburbs or something like that. I think it's about experiencing the extremes and then uh, taking those two parts into consideration yeah, yeah. and realizing yeah, they're kind yeah. of the same. Yeah, and that's like, that, that reminds me of the Zen quote. It's like, uh, before the mountain, then you climb to the top of the mountain, then you go after the mountain. But ah, it's, I can't remember the damn quote. It's like, things get weird, but then after the Zen, you are the same, but you're different. You take on experience, and you're the same person, but with a greater understanding, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess that's the thing, yeah. And it's like, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like every movie plot or story ever told is something, you know, you go out, have a crazy experience, come back, you do the same thing, but with a greater understanding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the thing, I guess, just not being able to come back and not getting, you know, lost in the world. But then... You're, you're always lost in a way, but that's the thing, to always be able to have, you know, the footing. And I guess the footing is the doing, because then, you know, cause getting lost is the inaction or something like that. I don't know. I mean, there's so many ways to go sort of off the path or something. It's all so vague. I'm trying to think of words that don't make it even more vague, but there's nothing really there. That's why, like, the Tao Te Ching is such a great poem because it's so simple but it's true you know be like water you know people think that's a fucking what's his name bruce lee quote it's it's from the Tao Te Ching you and i started working together in college and making uh you know movies and sound and everything um you want to talk about nocklin Was, were you on acid editing the movie? Was I, 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 or I, I feel like, or you were on mushrooms or something. Like one of my favorite, I just, I just that this memory just popped into my mind of like you editing like one of the crazier sections of Nocklin and being in that editing room and me like visiting you there and I don't know, I felt like you, you were like this crazed man being like like. 
I did mushrooms or something, or maybe you had done them the day before or something, or, or I don't know, <laughs> but it was just like, it was the, it was almost like a, a stereotypical, or I don't know, the opposite of stereotypical, but like, uh, I don't know, it was just quite a sight, you there, the crazed, the, the computer screen editing of just like the most abstract kind of violent, uh, you know, images, not violent in terms of image, but in terms of the way the, you know, things were happening, you know what I mean, like just... Yeah, and it was. <laughs> I was like, "This is crazy! Hell yeah, I want to make music for this." Yeah, I mean, you made an incredible soundtrack to that film. I just remembered uh, someone, one of the people after they saw it came up and they were like, "That was really good. You should make soundtracks for horror movies, like for your for your career." And I was, and I kind of, I took it as an, as, I took it as an insult because I was like, or I didn't realize. I mean, I guess you could say that Knocklin is a horror movie, you know, like. In a way, I should have taken that as like a hell yeah, thank you compliment in a way. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, but I remember at the time I was like, like, this is not like horror is not a respectable genre. How dare you say that for me? You're, you're, you're implying that I could only make music for horror films. Whereas like they're in the person that told me their mind is probably like horror films are movies that people go out and see, you know, as opposed to like the, like an art film, you know, <laughs> but like. In my mind, I was insulted, but now I look back at that. I was like, "That's a great compliment." Like they were saying, I could, you know, do keep doing this, you know. And now I look back also and say, maybe I should make horror films. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it's funny with with the the genre of horror because I guess it is pretty vast. And like some, like what are some g- good horror movies? I mean, like like The Shining is a horror movie in, in a way, right? That is, you know. And that, and that, yeah, and and making Knockland too. That was like an eye opener. I don't know for me of being able because I never, I didn't even think about like making music with things before. Or I mean, I you know, I think we had done a few things before that, but like, I don't know. It was like, so that was because, it, and it's funny now. I don't know, like, yeah, just that, you know, a song doesn't have to be this like sort of structured thing that. You know, making more things f- with a visual aspect, it totally changes the structure of the song because you have the structure there in visual form that you're making it, f- you know, with, as opposed to this just thing. And then, and also being stuck in like just things of like songwriting tropes, like having a verse, chorus, verse type thing. Your music also, when I heard it, I was often tempted and sometimes did change the visuals to the music that's why i thought it was that's why that's why i thought it was such a great collaboration because i i didn't give into that easily you know i went into it saying i'm not going to change this whatsoever fuck this guy whoever makes the music and then i want them to work for me but then i heard your music and it was so great i said oh well i'm gonna cut this here and move this over there a little bit yeah well it was also tough by me too because i guess like an ideal like score person would will be making the sounds exactly for those scenes. Some like like I forget what it was. Like I saw a Japanese a documentary about this Japanese music guy. I forget his name. It's kind of boring, but but like he made the music for this movie and he was like making it exactly. And I was like, geez, I was kind of a dick. Where I'd be like, here's the track. It doesn't perfectly fit up, but it's like this is what it is. It's it, it, it's really good like this, you know. Like especially when we were kind of hunkered away for like a few days like I was in your parents house like just in your room for like hours and hours like and then you would come in we would smoke and then I'd be like here I made this 
And then, you know, it would be like, no, let's keep, let's try it this way. And then another couple hours. And then we'd have like 12 minutes of something and it would be great, you know. It was great to be able to work like that, but it's not sustainable in a way. But it's like, it also is. I mean, it's like, that's the funniest, funny thing about like making a song or something. Like sometimes you just got to kind of, you know, you got to just get it out or do it versus, I don't know. I almost rather people like, like criticize stuff I make sometimes than compliment it. If they say it's good, I'm like, oh, you're just being nice or something. <laughs> you know, like, like I want someone to be like, like I, that really, uh, I really like didn't like that. <laughs> I almost like that better. Let's go back to collaborations. What about Raccoon Remix? Can you, can you define it a little bit? Can you like, where did you start out with Raccoon Remix? I think the first soundtrack you laid down was Raccoon Remix 3, right? Well, maybe two. I mean, two we showed in Basel, right? In Miami. Was that two? Then, then yeah, 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 yeah. At least in part, I think we like co-wrote uh, that or something. You know, co- yeah, yeah. There's some, there's some weird stuff in that. <laughs> that that, <laughs> like, there's that, there's one song in that that's really weird that I always liked, and I don't know what it is. But, but, but yeah. And then like, and precursors to that were kind of like those, uh, you doing like kind of some of those videos, like, like, um, Versace. Yeah. Like Versace and Joe's dream. Or Piney. uh, Piney. Yeah. Yeah. Piney. Exactly. That track. I was just thinking, I regret not putting that on the album, Walmart, the hits 2012, 2019. I was just thinking that I didn't, I should, I wanted to, should have put one of those tracks on this just, just, just to have it up there. Maybe I'll do that in the next album. Just because, especially that track, for some reason, it was so weird. Like, it was such a unlistenable track, but then with visual on it, it became something different. So that was kind of like a eureka, in a way. It was like, you know, like oh, you can take something that's kind of unlistenable as it is, and then if it's with a visual element that's also interesting, then it helps that, and they... they they both it becomes this whole thing you know and well and that's almost the opposite like that the pioneer that track like i just think i just made from like applying like it was two things it was like a weird looping rhythm and then like a weird piano track that i had done like stretched out and done a bunch of like effects to or maybe not even a bunch like two you know like just kind of stretched out and stuff and then it became this thing and it was like it's almost like the, this. That, so, like, that's the opposite of working on something for twelve hours and kind of taking the pieces and doing stuff and finding, making it work. It was just like this is here. It is. It's it just kind of grew immediately. It probably took no time. Like you know, it just was like a few clicks. You know, and it was like whoa, this is a thing. And so that's and that's the you know you get gifts like that. But also like that and that's something you know I still want to. And I guess I always am constantly, in a way, kind of hoping it will happen, you know, like every time I sit down to like make a song, like hope something just kind of arises, but then you don't know if it does, then you're trying to f- catch a butterfly. <laughs> hey, oh, well, let's talk about American Dream. We haven't talked about that yet. It's totally different from Raccoon Remix 3, you know? It's a complete opposite style in a way. And it's different from Knocklin too. I mean, it's sort of similar because it's a feature and it's a little more narrative. But it's a, it's very different, too, you know. Even the, just, uh, just aesthetically straight up, a punch in the face, black and white, you know. Yeah, what an adventure. I mean, so many... Like, 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 I, th- th- like that's another example, I guess, of, of going... I don't know. It, it's funny with when I make music. Like, I feel like I'm always 
going into unexplored territory. And it was funny with that. Like I, I could record it's so, like I, I made ended up making like a few different songs that before uh, any of the music that's now in the movie was made. Like there was although one track maybe I guess kind of made it into it in the form of with the uh, and that's the one with uh, with uh, the guitar and with you know in the sax or the uh, harmonica. Uh, no, 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 but it's either There are two separate tracks There's one that is guitar, solo And there's one that's harmonica and piano Okay, okay, yeah. well, the, okay, yeah, 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 yeah Maybe the chord progression is similar Because, well, yeah Well, I, I guess the I guess The point is that there's a few chord, like, changes That I had been playing with And, and I had, like, totally different ideas that had, Than had what made it into the movie But they were all going into, like I mean, one, just playing the piano, which, like, I never did in recordings, really. Like, it was always something, I don't know, I never took seriously, almost. Well, though, I guess it is uh, in Rec Remix 3 that the beginning of that has the piano. And I think I recorded that. Did I record that, like, when I had a broken jaw? Or was that? It might have been. We should talk about that, too, about your injuries and my injuries also. I think that influences a lot. Well, yeah, yeah. So that was the. So, so I guess I, I mean, just the short story is that a crazy guy sucker punched me and broke my jaw in New York. You went to what Woodhull Hospital? And, yeah, yeah. That was a spent a week there at the in the ICU. My brain was bleeding. I guess I don't know how. I don't really have any memory of that. I guess people were visiting me and and you know I was just morphined out. Yeah, I was there. Yeah, yeah. And I don't remember any of it really. I was just doped out, and that was that was an interesting experience because I was just watching the clock and every four hours, and because they would only give you a re up your shoot shoot you up with more morphine every four hours, and so then I would like watch the clock until that fourth hour came, and then I would press the button. It would say ten out of ten pain, need more, but it was ten out of ten. I mean, I don't think I was really joking so or faking it. But I definitely was trying to get fucked up at the same time a little bit. I, I don't think you were joking either. But also, I remember one time a nurse came over and said, How's your pain ten, ten, from, one, from 1 to 10? And he said, 11! Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that was the thing. That was an experience. Yeah, because when you have a broken jaw, they wire your mouth shut. And so then my mouth was wired shut for like good, good, like four months. It was supposed to get off after like two months, but then it didn't fully heal, so they had to go for another month or two. And then you visited me like a month in to when I it was like near Christmas, I think, and like it and then we went out drinking, <laughs> like with my mouth wired shut. And then I think you like went to ride a bike down a hill and flipped over the handlebars, right, and broke your collarbone. Yeah, but let me go back to that night for a minute before I broke my collarbone. That night we we went out drinking, and then we went to a karaoke bar or something like that. And this guy, oh, yeah. this guy was coming around with the with the microphone and singing some, you know, it's like it's like some old black guy, and he's there like crooning in, into the thing. And then he comes up to the audience. It was like empty bar. <laughs> and he, yeah, yeah, it was like an empty bar. And he hands it off to the few people, and they all sing the drunken things. And then he hands it to you, and you go. Uh, uh, uh. 
and he, he's like, come on, this guy, he, he wants to sing. This guy wants to sing. And I'm like, yeah, no, yeah. no, no, no. Really, really okay. <laughs> and then you, come on, Joe, sing. Why don't you want to sing? Come on. I think I was drinking beer out of a straw. <laughs> so that night, then after we came back from Boston, I started riding, and I felt so free. I pedal like as fast as I can. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. And then all of a sudden, a, a back pedal. And I realize it's a, uh, you know, a single chain, whatever you fixed, call it. Fixed gear. Fixed, fixed gear. And, you know, hits it against my leg or whatever. I go flying. And then, you know, it smash on the street. I realize, like, uh, something's fucked up. <laughs> and, and then we, we spent the... Uh, but you didn't do anything the, uh, that night or the next day. You just hung out. My mom, who's a nurse, was at work. <laughs> my dad... You were like, I think I'm really hurt. My dad was like, huh, oh. <laughs> We just watch TV all day. You're, uh, uh, you know, you got your broken jaw. Now I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there with a, a broken shoulder, and your brother's like coming off heroin or something. Yep, yep. And we're all watching Family Feud. <laughs> so uh, I stayed there for uh, 24 hours, and uh, it was terrific. I think that was a great part of my healing process. <laughs> but I think it was during that time. Then I, w- so I was like homeridden, and, and I get, and the, and then after that, you were too. And then I think I. That's when I tried to record the intro track to Raccoon 3, which I had already had other stuff, but then I was like, I made this, this, this song on the piano, like, check it out. And then it, and it just worked. That's like my favorite part in a way, or, or one of my favorite things, is just that intro part with the, uh, the, the time lapses. Like, that section is kind of a really strong, like, standalone piece. That's my favorite part too, man. <laughs> and it, it's it, like it's so nice <laughs> before the before it gets so scary because <laughs> there's the section where like people are bl- like bloody and stuff, and the music is just not even music. It becomes like these harsh tones, but that's beautiful in itself because it's so in your face. But but it's the you know but but again that but so it's like unlistenable and unwatchable because it's so you know just 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 harsh. Forcing people to watch the thing that is completely unwatchable. Well, you know, I don't know, even, like, in high school... I, That's why it's... Yeah. Even in high school, I, I made, like... i uh, uh, say this quick, but, like, uh, just a, a copy of an Andy Warhol film where I just, like, filmed people's faces in black and white. And uh, I filmed everybody in the class. I made a, a, the audience watch it for, like, 30 minutes or something. And, you know, these are parents who came to watch their their kids make, like, some stupid shit, you know, beating each other up for 30 seconds, and the haha, it's funny, there's some joke at the end or whatever. And then, you know, I forced them to watch this 30-minute thing. Everybody left, you know? But that, that to me, is the, the greatest uh, uh, <laughs> affirmation as well, you know, affirmation of result, whatever. Everybody leaves. Everybody hates you and leaves. That's the best. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that, and, yeah, and that goes back to this back-and-forth thing, and, like... Of, of of but it's all it's all what what you intend in a way too like that's like the measure of the success of the work or not the success I don't know like like what we said in the beginning of this like about pop music and how like I wouldn't admit that it, I liked it and then I realized it was I loved it and I always did and and it is a respectable thing because it's it's not easy like it's 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 hard like. Uh, you know, like it's hard to make a song that's beautiful. You know, in a way, like like that's truly beautiful. And I guess that's kind of what I was trying to do with uh, 
uh, American Dream, and like that was like the challenge. It was like, okay, make a song on piano that's that's you know not beautiful per se, but you know like it. Don't make it <laughs> like people shouldn't walk out. People shouldn't not want to listen to it. You know, I'm out here now in Texas, and like I don't really know anybody, but I want to make like just a basic like band or something. You know. Playing live music is such a kind of different thing than making it alone, like on a computer and recording different tracks and or just sampling different stuff. But but that's also the other thing. It's I think it's continuing to kind of venture into the unknown and have a foot in what you know, but also a foot in what you totally don't and testing, you know, kind of going past what you think you can do. And hope it works. And if it doesn't, then you have to try again. <laughs> Do you have any future plans? A any goals or anything, you know, small or long term that you want to accomplish? Well, I guess I just said one there. I mean, but like playing some live music. But that's, but, you know, I feel like I'm uh, just uh, a ship on the sea. Looking, trying to chart my next course, you know. That's the that's the thing too, you know. F figuring out what what is worth doing, what's not. Yeah. So then, going back to the initial thing, what is worth doing? Why why making music? Why writing poetry? Any of this? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't make sense. It's cr it's crazy. That's why, like, my dad is right. I was thinking, oh, well, I don't know. He's not right, but, like, it's funny, like, think of people like my parents that they wouldn't even ever think to do anything, I don't know, creative, just because it doesn't, they don't need to. So, I mean, I guess that's the thing, too, with, with like, I like Bukowski, like I said. Like, I, I liked, I always liked his quote, like, don't, like, that poem, don't write, or don't try, and it's like, don't, don't, you know, don't write if it's not pouring out of you, you know, like, you know, like, don't do it unless you, like, you know, can't not, you know. I guess that's the thing. Maybe it's a, an emotional crutch. <laughs> but it's, that's the best thing in a way. It's back to, and like what I was saying before about, like, the phonies in New York that want to be an artist, that want to be a thing. Like, that's, it's, you should almost not want to. It's better probably to, that it's like, God damn it, I have to do this because otherwise I won't, you know, I don't know, I won't be able to live, what will I, you know, it's like, <laughs> like, I have, like, which is, yeah, because there's so many people that do things not out of necessity, you gotta do it out of necessity, even if it's a spiritual necessity, it's gotta be out of necessity, you know, because that's, that's the thing, if it's not, then you're just, uh, you know, you're just, uh, you're a poser, <laughs> Why, why, why is a quote experimental interesting to you? Because it is, right? It offers something different than pop. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess that's the thing I was saying before. It's like about how different music genres are kind of not real. Like, like so many songs of disparate genres that don't seem to be related are actually very similar. And like you can... And that's like the thing, like, is, does experimental even exist or is like, or how, how broad or not broad is that term, you know? And it's like, cause, cause like everything is experimental in a way, 
like even the most formulaic thing it's like that's or not experimental but it's like it's 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 still an experiment in the formulation like and because because then because it's it goes back and forth because i think of myself like an 18 me where i'm like i just like experimental things because they're against the mainstream because they're against the corporate structure because they're outside of what what society wants and like i still agree with all those things and like that for for those reasons but also i see those reasons as kind of i don't know like still thinking in a small paradigm you know it's like if something is something bad because it's corporate not necessarily it could still be bad but it might be good but it's good to also know that it is a corporate like creation or manu or like it's good to know that Max Martin wrote the song, not Britney Spears. But and and once you know that, it actually then it becomes m- more interesting and good again. And 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 so it's like, j- and that's just almost just knowing about what things are. I think there are like also two fundamentally different levels. One of them is like the extreme knowledge of call it pop culture, you know, all, or culture just culture in general or something. And then the other is also like excluding culture and the knowledge of everything else, which is like God or something. Um, and I, and I think the two relate a lot and they interact, but I, I think there, there are two levels. There is some shell that divides uh, the two. Well, yeah. And then think of what, and cause then things can be experimental in different ways too. It's like the perfect example, like we both, I think, got really into Cassavetes over like the last couple of years, and it's like Cassavetes is a perfect example of super experimental and pushes like boundaries and does things that are just so not what a film is. And then you're like, like it's not your standard movie; it's this different thing. You don't even know what you saw, but at the same time, it has all the the pieces that it should be like a standard normal movie like it has especially even just the actors it is the the guy from uh uh you know 70s tv shows and and they're being actors and and they're it's a you know it's a movie with characters and it's like with kind of normal settings normal places with kind of and so it, like one foot is in both place. One foot is totally with God or something, and the other foot is like down to earth movies that he's talking about. You know, uh, what is his name? Peter Falk is with uh, Jenna Rollins, and she's going fucking crazy, and he's just like, "This is my wife." Like, you know, what am I gonna do? <laughs> I love her, you know, and uh, very realistic situations. Yeah, and you have the same thing with like, like in music. Like, look at something. Compare the experimentalness of like. Uh, some uh, like the jazz greats like compare Thelonious Monk or like and he he played so crazy and he played badly like people throughout his career would say like he doesn't know how to play the piano like he's playing wrong notes and it's like no he was playing those notes on purpose that's because he's pushing it because he has this sound and he created his so many different things that no one did and no one still does. Where do you see yourself on that scale? I go back and forth. I mean, if you look at the Walmart album, like I have some songs in there that are just nice poppy beats that sound nice that are just like dun dun dun, and they're just like you know they would be on a could be you know on like a pop rap 
album but then there's some kind of really noisy songs that are hardly songs they're more just like atmospheric things so i mean that's where i always like to kind of go back and forth and that's what monk did too and monk has songs that are totally kind of standard like 12 bar blues with a few just weird notes and then he has songs that are just these tritone totally unhummable melodies that are just crazy and uh, like kind of unlistening unlistenable or at least un you know you can't really just you can't it's made to kind of not be able to vibe vibe with in a way but so that's always the thing and always just be experimenting with where where that line is and where the balance is but but i guess at the same time i've always been afraid to go fully into the pure noise like i always like to have something it's an experimental line you know the full uh you know godhead or something that you forsake form completely yeah like a, a brackage thing or something where it's just you know colors flashing at you and it's like you know then that's not you know it's that's nowhere near uh a movie the way a, a cassavetes thing is with characters and stuff like that but at the same time, sometimes I think, I mean, I don't know that much brackage, but it seems like, I don't know, sometimes he's like, it seems like, like a story kind of arises from the colors. I think I've only really seen his crazy stuff, you know, pieces of it. But yeah, that's the, yeah. But again, so that's always the thing. And that's why it's like the only thing to do in a way is always to at least have your mind in like the experimental way of thinking. Because it's, you know, and like, are the the avant-garde you know does the creation do something <laughs> you know like it's 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 almost very simple like it's it goes back to like i just keep seeing how things that we think are different are the same thing and it's just what you do so what is the lesson here then do we draw a line ever well, that's the, the thing, I guess, always just uh, being aware of... But that's the same thing, too. At the same time, it's like, fuck knowing where the lines are. I don't know. But it, it's always fun to be able to... If you can find a line of anything, and this is, it goes back to like a linguistics mode of thinking, because when you're trying to think about language, you, there's so many perspectives you can go at it, too, like the sound or the syntax or the meaning. Like, you can... There's all these pieces, and there's pieces of everything, perspectives you can look at and then say, this is a perspective that I'm going to do something with, you know? And, it, and, and what, that, what you look at or what you do could be so many different things, you know? And it's all one. 